0: Welcome to the Breaking the Startups podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. On today's episode, we're speaking with Melanie Arajo, who is a creative director and founder of Front and Center, an organization founded to increase diversity and inclusion in Silicon Valley through design. Melanie has a fascinating background of going from being one of the top students in behavioral neuroscience to deciding to pursue a true passion, visual interaction design. Over the years, she has collaborated with design leaders from Facebook, Google, Honor, and others, and has mentored a number of young adults on how to break into tech. In this episode, we talk about how to prepare for design interviews and go in depth on topics like UI and UX design and prototyping. User experience is the first interaction that customers have with any product, which is why it's important that as users, we understand the implication it has on product, engineering, and marketing teams. If you want to listen to another design episode, Check out episode number five with Megan Schofield, where we take a deep dive into user experience design. Check it out.
1: Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor
0: Meister, and this is the Breaking Startups Podcast. Timor, can you
1: please tell the people what we're doing today?
0: Yeah, so today we're recording another episode of Breaking Into Startups. We're sitting at Hack Reactor's alumni lounge. Uh, there's actually a few people uh, studying on the side. Uh, some are practicing for coding exams, but we're going to talk about Breaking Into Startups. Ruben, can you please introduce our guests?
1: Yeah, we're, we're here with someone that's really dope. Her name is Melanie Arajo. And she's a Boston native and a freelance designer and founder of Front and Center. What's really cool about her story is that she's not just a designer, but she's gone through several different paths from studying neuroscience and gone through retail and photography and things like that. So Molly, can you please take us a little bit back and and tell us about how you grew up and how kind of you got into to this role?
2: Sure. So I grew up in a multiracial community, working class immigrants. Both of my parents are immigrants from the Cape Verde Islands, and I've always been a creative person ever since I was a young kid. However, my parents weren't really sure how to nurture that unique interest. At the time, they strongly suggested and urged me to pursue safe and stable careers, and those safe and stable careers were usually in the medical field, in the bank, or something legal-related, or science. I grew up in Somerville, and Somerville is the city right next to Cambridge. So as you can imagine, Harvard and MIT is down the streets. <laughs> and so my mom was a janitor and a housekeeper for 25, 30 years almost. And my dad was a line cook in you know a few of the, of the hotels around the greater Boston area. I'm not entirely sure what it was that they did because what my parents did, it was something that we didn't really discuss careers and jobs in the house. It's just something that you did to make, you know, pay the bills and put food on the plate. I have, I'm one of four kids. I have an older brother and two little brothers. So I grew up very tough. So as you can imagine, I had to advocate quite a bit for myself. One of the games that my older brother really, really loved to play was boys versus girls. (laughs) I hated it. I played Um, that with my sister too. And my grandmother would watch us during the day while my mom had three jobs. And before my dad got sick, she would watch us. And my older brother would always, always uh, find a way to play boys versus girls. And I'd always, you know, find myself in situations where I just had to advocate for myself and just say, no, grandma, this is not real. And so, I, so early, from early on, I had to learn to stand up for myself. And then my dad got sick when I was in about third or fourth grade, and I wasn't really sure what had happened to him because illness in healthcare is just something my parents don't really talk about. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's not really an infrastructure to back on the islands where they're from, where you can get that type of information or if it was something common to talk about. So he got sick, and then all of a sudden, my dad was a lot more in my life, and I wasn't really sure why or what had happened. I just knew that he lost all cognitive abilities and motor abilities. So my dad, yeah, and it was really scary because my dad was my hero, and that was something that had stuck with me during my formative years. And during that time, I was also very, very much into cartoons because my brothers were And so, I was exposed quite a bit to Nintendo, Mario cards.
0: Pokemon? (laughs) Yes, Pokemon.
2: They did, yeah, that actually did, that was one thing. But Moto Combat, a lot of Sega Genesis, but I never played. I just watched. And when I, because, you know, we only had so many remotes, they were hogging the remotes. But when I did play, my brothers really would get really upset with me because I would take forever to just pick the right character and the right car and... Yeah. And then that carried over into, you know, making illustrations and tracing my favorite cartoon characters and then bubble letters, then making physical artworks. Again, you know, my dad at this time is still at home and I'm having all of these, this urge to be super creative, them not quite sure how to nurture that. Then I got to high school and high school was really interesting for me because. At that time, I didn't think I was going to go to college or I don't know if I really wanted to go to college because I didn't know anyone who went to college. And I had one cousin who actually went to college and she went to Boston College. And she was kind of the hero of the family because I have a pretty large extensive family. So lots of aunts, lots of uncles, lots of cousins, but not really too many cousins that went to college. And so she went to college and she took me to spend a weekend with her there. Then we went to New York City and that was my first time traveling outside of the state of Massachusetts. And I'm 14, really impressionable. And I decided right there and then that I was going to be like my cousin and that I was going to go to college and then I was going to move to New York City. So fast forward, we go to high school and I was always into sports because my brothers loved basketball and I was really, really tall for my age. So I was playing basketball all the time. So I thought that was something I wanted to do, but at one point, I was taking anatomy and physiology. I think this was like junior year of high school or maybe, yeah, junior year of high school, and I found my dad's medical records. Wow. And I went through his medical records, and I found out why he, how he got sick and why it happened and what it meant, and I think at that point, that was when I was like, okay, I think I'm going to major in science. And I was really good in school for being a punk and kind of being, you know, a hard ass sometimes to my teachers. I was just really in school, really good in school. And yeah, so I was I kind of looked at it. I was like, well, I'm good in biology. I'm good in chemistry. So I will guess I'll major in biochemistry. And the high school that I went into was a low income high school that was later converted over to a crystal ray model. Um, and what that meant was I went to school four days of the week. And on the fifth day, I had an internship. And the internship was shared with four other, sorry, three other students. And companies would pay the school, I think it was around $20,000. And that was, devi- it was split up through uh, four students. And that money that we made went back to our tuition. So that's how we funded our education. And I had some really, really, really cool internships. One, I had a Regis College, which was an all-girls school. So that was one of the places that, you know, being on a college campus it was so cool. I'm like, <laughs> I'm out of my parents' house. And then the other one was at Akamai Technologies. And Akamai Technologies was at MIT Square. And I think they were video, online video streaming company. And I remember the first time I met an engineer. I don't know if they were an engineer or a developer at the time, but I knew it was like the engineering center and it was the Knox Center and i remember the tsunami had just had happened in southeast asia back in 2005 or 6 and i remember being blown away because their data was able to detect the patterns before the tsunami had hit i think it was indonesia I'm not entirely sure and i was like wow that is cool but i didn't know what it was that they did and you know when people look busy at work you don't really bother them. And I'm 17 at this time. So senior year rolls around. I apply to universities and I was awarded a full scholarship to Northeastern University in Boston. Wow. Yeah, it was really, really cool. I kind of knew, I was very much, very curious and inquisitive teenager. I needed to have all of the information and I would not stop until I had all of that information. So I quickly knew that if I was valedictorian in my class, that meant I would go to college for free. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I optimized for that. That's smart. And so senior year of high school, I told the Salatorian, who was my friend, that I could no longer be his friend because I needed to get that freaking valedictorian title because I was going to college. And he said, oh, no girl would ever get that. And I was like, oh, really? Oh really? Okay. <laughs> and my dad, he loved going to my high school to pick up our report cards and catch in with the teacher because, like, he was like, "I'm Melanie Arrugio's dad," and he was like, so cool about that. And he's like, "I'm like, yeah, well, go get Michael and Eureka's report card." He's like, "Don't want to do that." And so, yeah. So my dad has always been an amazing coach, and my mom has been like the fiercest woman that I've ever known. So I. Got this so fast forward. I, I graduate, valedictorian in my class. This was in April. Two months later, part of my scholarship required me to start college two months before the rest of the campus got there. Wow! As a way to fill the knowledge gap that I lacked.
0: That's pretty interesting. So <laughs> they assumed that because you because I came
2: from under a- under underprivileged community or low income community. However, they meant however they branded it. They felt as though the inaugural class that came in of 10 scholars lacked math and English skills. So they made us go to school like two months, like summer school. So it was
1: like summer school,
0: like for prep college. to get into college.
1: How, how did that make you feel after being validated? Um,
2: I didn't even care about that point because I was just out of my parents' house and living in a dorm. And yeah. my best friend was a year ahead of me. And I, you know, I got a car. I was very, very spoiled. And I would drive to Boston campus quite a bit during my senior year. And I was like, I can't wait to go to college and get this thing called Facebook. Yeah. (laughs) That was before Facebook was as open as it was now. And I was like, what is this Facebook thing? I was like, what is this? And she's like, you could only sign up with a college address, email address. And I was like, can't wait to get my college email address. So by having to start school two months early, I got my college email address and friended quite a bit of people. On uh, Facebook, <laughs> and it was really cool because it was the first interaction you have with someone when you know the fall semester started. Like we're friends on Facebook, so that made me feel. So I didn't feel I didn't feel different then because it was still very sheltered. A lot of the students in that program had similar backgrounds to myself. We just grew up, we just came from different parts of the country. So first day at Northeastern was cool. Maybe day ten was not so cool. Day 10, I thought I was going to drop out of college because I was the big fish in a little pond and now I'm a little fish in a really, really, really big pond. Pressure to keep up with social activity was real. And what I mean by that was I couldn't just hit up my mom for like 20 bucks to go to a movie and then go to a party. Like, you know, or not even something that exaggerant, like I went to Catholic school my entire life, so I had a uniform, but just like I want to look fly, yeah, you know, and I want to change up my wardrobe, you know, so little things like that. So I had to make my own money, and that meant taking on a part-time job while I was in college. But I had also been working for a really long time since I was 14. Since yeah. I could get a job illegally, uh, my mom was like, y'all going to go work because <laughs> yeah. I'm not buying y'all a cell phone. I'm not going to do none of this mess. If you want to do it, go and get a job and earn it on your own. So I carry that mentality over with me to in college.
0: So it sounds like you've um, kind of worked really hard in high school. And I mean, becoming a valedictorian of your grade, like that takes a lot. I mean, you're competing (laughs) against so many other students and uh, you really like set your goal on getting to college and Northwestern is... Oh, Northeastern. Northeastern, sorry. No, it's okay. It's an amazing school. So it sounds like you had a like natural talent for arts, like with cartoons and Mm -hmm. drawing. But at the same time, you were also very good at chemistry and biology. And um, Mm -hmm. that's another like sciences. Mm -hmm. So what did you major in when you were in school? And did you pursue kind of both routes? Or did you focus on one over the other?
2: Right. So my intended major was biochemistry. And the experience at during High School taught me how to be how to advocate very well for myself and for internships. So, I got an internship at MIT doing chemical engineering, working on some device that you could detect tuberculosis in very poor countries. And that project was very exciting. However, the work was very boring. So, I changed. Well, I didn't change my major. I was kind of like, let me give it, let me try an internship somewhere else. So, I got an internship through my mother, who at the time was a janitor at Mass General Hospital in a neurogenetics lab. And my mother, she can never she's a great person, but she can never mind her own business, was pushing her cart through one of the research group labs, and the primary investigator of that lab, Vijaya, had a book on her shelf that said biochemistry. And my mom looked up and was like, Hmm, biochemistry. And the lady was like, You know, she totally misjudged my mom. She's like, what does this woman know about biochemistry? My mom was like, let me tell you, my daughter's studying that in school. And so my mom got me my first internship that
1: way. Awesome. That's a nice way to break in. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And so that was a really great experience as well. So I was testing, um, working on a couple different really, really science stuff that was really, really important. And That experience, I was there for like nine months. And towards the end, I got paid for my experience, which was so weird. I was like, you get paid for internships? I just thought you had to work for free. I remember telling Vijaya and I was like, hey, I really, really like everyone here, but I hate this work. This is not me. This is killing me. And you know, she said to me, she was like, I'm so glad that you're figuring this out right now. Go back to your school and change your major. And it's not because I, I was doing bad. Like I was struggling to keep. To be, I was struggling to be in love with the thing that I was didn't want to do, and that's yeah. really hard. And so at that time, I had met a couple kids who were in the. Well, I didn't even know Northeastern had a like a photography department or any creative department. I knew they had an architecture department, and I was always jealous of the architecture kids because they could make stuff with their hands, which I love doing. And so I went in tried to change my major and for reasons that I'm not going to share on this podcast, my request was denied. So then I picked behavioral neuroscience because I was pretty much halfway, more than halfway through with that degree. And that degree gave me the flexibility to explore my creative side in the classes I wanted to take. And so the way in which, and up until recently, I still think quite the same about these things. My creative side and what I do for work, I kind of keep those things separately. I didn't know until you know a couple of years ago that those things can coexist together in the same universe. So while I was at Northeastern studying, I took on a part-time job at a really, really hip, cool lifestyle brand company called Karma Loop.
1: Shout out to Greg.
2: Shout out to Greg. <laughs> and Karma Loop, was so cool to me. I mean, if you know anything about Boston, during that time, you know, we were voted one of the worst dress city in a couple of years. And so Greg takes that really personal and and I do too, because I'm like Carmoop was dope and was cool. There I got exposed to lots of creative kids, kids that went to art school down the street from me. Different lifestyles, skateboarding, graffiti, graphic design. Also brands like Supreme, Married to the Mob, which have very strong graphic design foundations, like really good typography, Shepherd Fairy, Obey, as well as other creative types more like musicians. And I wanted to be like those people. Like Kid Sister was the coolest person to me at the time. Yeah, so I continued to live those double life kind of in kind of way. Like I would... And I knew this was going to get going. And I tried, I struggled real hard to balance it. But at one point, I would just, I would take all my classes all in the morning, just so I can have the afternoon and the weekends free so I can chill at Karma Loop and be around creative
0: people. Yeah It's kind of like working at a startup and recording a podcast at night.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like that. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. So take us uh, forward uh, to how you ended up on the West Coast. So it sounds like you're doing uh, well in school, you're you're going towards your major neuroscience. I'm sure it wasn't easy on the side, you're also hustling. Uh, you're exploring your creative side. What was next for you?
2: Right. I didn't really know what was next for me. I kind of made it up while I was studying neuroscience, my senior year, I had a experimental learning opportunity at Harvard in Children's Hospital, Boston. So I worked in a, de- a child development cognitive development lab for children and uh, Yeah, in Boston. And there I was responsible for collecting participant research data, um, specifically around how socioeconomic status impacts cognitive development and academic achievement. And that was a really great experience. It was very transformative in the sense that compared to the other experiences that I've shared in research, that was really cool. I got to hang out with people, I got to study people's behavior, and then look at the trajectory and kind of pinpoint. You know, some potential outcomes. So, my mentor at the time, Margaret, shout out to Margaret. She's so amazing. She knew I wanted to get my PhD in cognitive psychology. And she also knew that I was very creative. You know, like I I was fly, like dope. And I was always into my appearances and how what I was rocking, the brands that I was rock, rocking, and how I did my hair, and makeup, and nail art before nail art became super fly. Um, <laughs> Crazy. So she suggested that I would, that I should take a year off, similar to what they do in the UK with a gap year. She's like, take a year off, get some life experience, and figure out what you want to do. And my boyfriend at the time also uh, wanted to move to the West Coast, but we weren't really sure where. So it was a game of eeny meeny miny moe, and I landed on San Francisco. And three months after I had turned twenty-two. 10 days after my last college final I purchased a one-way ticket to San Francisco I had my mother had been saving all the money I had been you know my paychecks from when I was 14 and she gave it to me and it was $5000 I bought my pain, plane ticket sent in a deposit for a room that I had never seen I also never visited California in general I didn't I had no idea what I was getting into but I was tough. I was like, "Whatever, I got this," <laughs> you know. And I remember actually, it's a funny story. Um, I was at Carmel Loop and I was looking at places in places on Craigslist. And my coworker Brian at the time was like, "Why is this Craigslist set to San Francisco, Mel?" I was <laughs> like, "Get over it. It's fine." I was like, "Just switch it back to Boston." And on December twenty sixth, the day after Christmas, I flew out to San Francisco. Wow. I didn't cry. It was until I, I looked back down and I saw the city, and I was like, okay, this is really happening.
1: How did your mom feel about that move?
2: Everyone expected me to come back. Everyone thought I was going to fail. Huh, it's been seven years and I'm still here. It. Yeah. So everyone expected me to fail. And that was really difficult for me to, to deal with. And so the way I dealt with it was I'm going to prove you guys all wrong because that's just who I am. Don't tell me that I can't do this because I have. This is what my heart's set on doing and I'm going to do it. And unfortunately, I didn't get that support, but that the lack of support didn't stop me from doing what I wanted to do.
1: But she still gave you that 5000 so you still had that support.
2: Well, that 5000 I had made sure, it when I was like 14, like that's bagging fair. groceries. <laughs> yeah, you know? That's fair. Um, yeah, and my mom, like she taught me a lot about finances from a really young age. I remember I bought my first paycheck home when I was like 14. I was like, hey, mom, give me the money. It says 80 bucks. And she was like no, this is this thing called a bank account and you need to put your money in that and so that you can pull money out. And I was like, okay, let's go to the bank. And she was like, okay. And she signs up for a bank account. And I remember him being like, okay, give me the 80 bucks. And she was like, no, no, no. You don't spend the full amount that you made. You spend a quarter of the amount that you made. And that went on until I was 16, until I could open my own bank account. (laughs) And I was like, good riddance, peace out. But she found another way to do to teach me another lessons on taxes. She'd fill out my taxes and she would say, oh, you only got 200 bucks back. <laughs> Not true. She saved the rest for me and my brothers.
1: That's
0: beautiful. Yeah. That's dope. Oh. So it sounds like you're in a new city right now. Um, I think you, you said you mentioned you took Margaret's advice to take a year mm-hmm. off. What was your plan uh, of doing for that year that you're in a new city? Sure. Did you want to go the creative route, the biology, chemistry out. Like what mm-hmm. was your next step?
2: So I wanted to stay within the world of neuroscience because I thought that's what I should do because that's what I studied and therefore that's what you should do. So I tried to find jobs within that space. Again, still not really committed to this idea. And, you know, I'm like, okay, well, this is what I studied. So I guess I should probably use it. So. I don't know. No, LinkedIn was not there at the time. Monster was the big search engine. And I think maybe some, I don't even know if Google was that good yet, like it is today, where you can just type in your job title and find the thing that you want to do. So I went to Craigslist and I found a job there, applied. A week after I had moved here, I had an interview with that startup in Berkeley and All those tears that I was holding back when I left Boston came out in that interview because the interviewer was really hard on me and really tough. And I was like, I know I can do this job. Why are you being so rude to me? Here's this manuscript that I published. I can do this. And I fought and and I thought I didn't get that job. But I came home really sad and I got an email that I got the job. And I was like, yeah. And so that job was really, really interesting because that was my first experience in startup. I This idea of a startup, I didn't know what it was and I knew they kept on throwing it around. I was like, I have no idea what a startup is and I don't think I should ask. I think I'm, I'm just expected to know this, which now in retrospect, I could have done a better job in educating myself and informing myself in the situation that I was getting into. But the amazing thing about that job was that I was a design researcher. So, what that meant was I would collect subconscious information from users. So, electroencephalography, which is EEG, so brain activity, and eye tracking data. So, imagine that you're sitting in front of a TV and you have this equipment on your head and you're watching TV. I'm measuring all of your neural activity and I'm identifying the points of engagement. And then I am using. Those areas to push through the thing that I want you to do. Yeah. So that was a really cool experience. But, yeah. But, but, but actually, but to kind of sum it up, I mean, I saw a lot of, I saw that it was there that I understood why some designs were successful and why others failed while also traveling the world. And my mind was constantly, you know, being opened by new experiences. I mean, from Tokyo to Buenos Aires, to Johannesburg, to Sydney, to Kiev, to, you know, Shout out, Kiev. Yeah. To Mexico City. So, and along, while I was working with that company for three years, I started collecting everything that I was attracted to. And I would bring that back home and share that with my friends here in the city. And eventually, I started to try to reproduce some of the things that I collected along my travels.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like you learned a lot. Um, you leveraged your background in neuroscience. Mm-hmm. You started to notice things that were related to what you were passionate about, right. um, related to design. So what did you do or like how did you kind of like transition towards the right. wedding, that passion, that appetite for the design?
2: OK, so John Maeda was the first designer that I had discovered online. Because he his background in engineering, and he also has an MFA and an MBA. So I was like, whoa, scientists can be designers too.
0: And who is John Maeda for Dos
2: John Maida is an American, well, American-Japanese graphic designer. He's now the design partner at Kleiner Perkins, KPCB, the first design partner on Sand Hill Row. So he's, an, I think he's an investor kind of thing. But he was the president of Rhode Island School of Design. So RISD is a really, really good design school. So he was a president there for a while. Yeah, so he was the first designer that I had really wanted and inspired to be like. Um, I watched a few of one of his TED Talks and a few other talks that he's done in the past. And yeah, he was just my inspiration. I think, you know, he doesn't look like me. He's a man, he's Japanese, but that didn't stop me from wanting to copy his career. But at the same time, I was also really, really curious because I had been living in San Francisco for three years and the way in which the city adapted to new technology, you know, was really fascinating to me. At one point, I started wondering how much technology is too much technology. And because of earlier work that I had done at Harvard with Margaret on how socioeconomic status can impact academic achievement, I started looking at tech through the lens of okay, so if tech's going to be the future and tech's really expensive, hmm, who can? So, tech's the future, tech's going to be really expensive, and I know that you know this is something that's just going to be the way it is, but I also know that there's a whole population that can't afford this technology. So, I started volunteering at the Children's Creativity Museum and I started painting, which is down here by Yerba Buena, not too far from where we are right now, and there they had these design studio labs for these kids. So you could do, make your own music video, you know, Photoshop, Illustrator. And I was like, what? Stop animation. And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And at one point I was like, screw the kids. I'm playing with this myself. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I didn't want to let go of my neuroscience identity because I worked so hard to earn my degree And my degree was kind of my safety blanket. So it helped me go into rooms and feel comfortable. And, you know, because I could demand respect with the behavior neuroscience degree. But yeah, so I was at Children's Creativity Museum, wondering, having all these kind of questions going through my head and trying to figure out what was my next move and what was it that I wanted to do. You know, and all these tech people around me, really, really inspiring tech people. So Naturally, I defaulted to my old habits. I thought that I should go to graduate school to get a degree in human-computer mm. interaction.
1: Did you reach out to John Maeda before you did that?
2: No, 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 no. I didn't even know that you could reach out to people. Okay. Uh, yeah, Yeah, that was weird.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like this was back, I guess, 2011, 2012. This
2: is two, no, this is 2013 now.
0: Okay, and this is right at the time when there's some immersive programs or boot camps, but I know if you've known about them, so you, your initial instinct was, I'm going to go get a graduate degree in some, like a design-related field and right. spend my time, take courses right. from professors, and then I'm going to break into this new industry. Right. Right. So is that what ended up happening, or did you end up taking a different path?
2: No, I totally took a different path, and I'm so happy that I didn't do that because there's so much free resource out there that's not being taken advantage of. So this is 2013, January. I discovered meetup.com. And became really, really obsessed with all of the design groups. So I attended practically everything. And at the time, I wasn't making that much money. So I would go to these meetups for the free food. And I was like, I'm going to learn something. I'm, I'm going to eat the same time and drink. <laughs> so um, that's what I did. And then, you know, I was still look, considering this human computer interaction program because Also, my parents wanted to know what I was doing because I said I was going to be here for a year and that year went up and then I didn't go home and they're like, what are you doing? I was like, dad, mom, I'm just not getting my PhD and I think you need to get over it and I'm going to make this work. So I started following, you know, just kind of finding as much, you know, and and then following up on other designer stories at the design events I went to, Google them online, kind of assess where I was, where they were, what they had, I didn't have kind of made a whole list about that and worked really hard to get those skills. And in July of 2013, six months later, I enrolled in General Assembly's part-time user experience design class with the intention of producing a portfolio piece that I could use for my graduate school application. So I went there with a specific mission in mind. And, you know, just like how I told you about my Valid Victorian story, If I have my heart and mindset on something, there is absolutely nothing that will get in my way for me to getting to my goal. I will bulldoze my way through that. And so that's what I did. You know, I didn't have the money to pay for that course upfront, but that didn't mean that I couldn't find a way to do that. And the way that I did that was by tapping into my 401k, because I knew that your 401k was that thing that you should invest in really, really early because of compound interest. Another coworker's Father had told her that and she told me that. And I went online <laughs> and Google that. I'm like, oh, that's what it is, cool. So I withdraw some money from that. I enrolled myself and I was like, dang, this is a lot of money all at once. And I committed myself to the coursework and basically consumed everything design in 2013. Eat, sleep, breathe design. And I was working full-time at the same time too. So I had taken, oh, wow. I had taken a easier operational job that allowed me to concentrate on my passion. Yeah. And yeah, I think that was the catalyst for everything.
0: So, t- tell us a little bit about the curriculum and what kind of stuff does General Assembly teach you to become a user designer at that time? Oh, user experience design. User experience design. Sure.
2: Designer. So, General Assembly at the time, I was taught my instructors were very, very important to me because my, mm. in, one of my instructors, was a senior user experience designer at William sonoma mm-hmm. And the other instructor was at a design studio. So they were both user experience designers, which was great for me because they also served as my design reference. Awesome. So I knew early on in my career that references didn't necessarily need to come from your boss. It could come from your coworkers as well and others, experts in that field. That has a relationship with you, a professional relationship. And so they were amazing. So, some of the things that they taught us was user research. And before I had enrolled in the part time general assembly class, I had taken three other classes before that to vet the program to see if it was right for me. Cause that was a, a lower risk. It was like 20 bucks versus 4,000. And it was a one time course. Mm-hmm. I loved what they were teaching and what they were doing so much that, you know, I made that commitment. So in addition to user research, some of the other things that they taught were information architecture. So how you move through the site, where information is located, interaction design, how, you know, by clicking on one thing, one user interface element, where that takes you to. Competitive analysis. How are other people in the space solving problems similar to the problems you're solving? Prototyping um, with low fidelity prototyping. So no code involved, just to quickly test out your design, usability studies, wireframing, and also how to present and pitch your design solution to get buy-in from stakeholders.
0: That's awesome. And something you mentioned in a pre-interview was that before you did this program, you used to hit up recruiters or you used to apply for jobs. Right. Like, and you got very little uh, response back, but then you did something very unique and mm-hmm. interesting at the end of the program. And then you all of a sudden got a lot of attention. Can you right. tell us what you did?
2: Right. So when I got out of college, I made the, the mistake of always updating my cover letter and resume to match the job I was applying for rather than kind of just being my authentic self and just saying, this is who I am. This is what I have to offer. Let's make this work. At GA, I took a class, How to Get Hired as a User Experience Designer. There I learned about the importance of having a strong online presence, where to be online, and what to show online. And so what that meant was signing up for Twitter, signing up for LinkedIn, cleaning up my Facebook, making my Instagram private because, you know, I'm a designer, so I want you to see that I'm doing some design stuff. My Twitter account. I would reshare design articles to kind of build myself up as an expert in my field, and then Triple is a little bit more complex because you need to be drafted in by an, a current member in the community. But a low another opportunity is Behance dot net, mm-hmm. and so that's where I put my projects online that I was working on my student work for General Assembly,
1: and that was started by Scott Busky, right? I don't even know. I think he's also a client as well.
2: Mm, I don't know. I don't know too much about Behance.
0: What is Behance? Because I, I think I've seen the website a few times. To me, it, was, it looked very similar to Pinterest, how you had a lot mm-hmm. of images, browsing, you could favorite things. Right. Is that kind of what uh, Behance is for designers?
2: Well, you can, okay, so you can favor things, you can't pin things. So you can upload projects mm-hmm. in different stages of that projects and iterations. So what you would, kind of like the different phases that you were moving through and how you were moving through that. But then you can also tag them, like I was responsible for user experience or I was responsible for the user research, creative direction, art direction, and so on. And I used these tools, Photoshop or Illustrator, to produce the things that you're seeing. And here's a little bit of mm-hmm. background detail information. So today, most designers will probably use a Squarespace or Dribbble, but back then it was about .me, You had that one image in the back. Yeah. And then you had your bio and then you linked it to your Behance portfolio. And I only had one project and I don't even think I used the software right. But there a recruiter found me. And which was totally opposite from my experience previously, where I was updating my resume, sending them in, getting a no, not understanding why. But this one was an inbound interest. Hey, we have an interest we would love to talk to you more about. This project, which was that I put online called Scope and concept worked, never shipped. But actually, one thing that I caught them, I used a prototype and tool called Flinto. And with Flinto, I did a screen capture. I watched a YouTube video on how to do a screen capture. And I was clicking through the video. And I was like clicking through the prototype, kind of mm-hmm. showing how the interaction would work. Yeah. And then I put some like instrumental song on top of that video, Uh clipped that video with iMovie and uploaded that onto YouTube and linked that to my portfolio. So I didn't even have to tell you about the product. You could just watch that 30 second marketing video to understand how the product worked.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So it sounds like creating an online presence is extremely important for to be a designer. Can you tell us kind of why specifically for design, like for this career path, why having an online presence is key? Because mm-hmm. I know for engineering, it's something like it's nice to have, but you could also potentially like go on an interview and solve some right. algorithms. But it sounds like for designers, there's a unique advantage for having that online it's presence. It's also
1: kind of like a like a Git, GitHub profile might be a good equivalent.
0: Yeah, to yeah
2: GitHub is equivalent to a Behance yep. or a Dribble account. I mean... A designer to me is someone that produces work for other people. I I think you need to capture your work in a way that makes sense to who you're designing for. And what I mean by that is, if I am a visual designer and I'm responsible for branding and communication work, and company X is looking for someone to help with collateral or t-shirts or experience design. What I mean by experience design is like some of those boots that you would run into, like a, a demo booth. Like, oh, here's like a branded tablecloth, a branded t-shirt, and some branded stickers, a branded folder. If you're a visual designer, that identity pack it's like that you're designing for, you should probably put that online. And then when you're called in for a portfolio review, you should bring the printed materials that you, concept to material. They can be concept. They don't have to be shipped. Just show them that you understand the fundamentals of graphic design, like typography, color, layout. And that's usually what's required for a junior designer. And in order to do some of those things, you have to know the software. So Creative Suite.
0: What type of software? Can you give a few examples of what tools you use day to oh, day? Your favorite or, tools. Yeah, your favorite tools. My
2: favorite tool will always be the pen and paper. I have, no, I have so, many, so many notebooks and post-it notes everywhere in my house because I love to get my, that, it allows me to get, my ideas down very, very quickly.
1: And to clarify, you're talking about real pen and paper.
2: Real pen and paper.
1: Not tech. (laughs) No. Real
2: pen and paper. Not an
0: iPad and uh, a... No. No? No. Okay. Okay. Because
2: I can move faster with pen and paper. The moment you open a a design software tool like Sketch or Illustrator or Photoshop, you're committed to the constraints of that tool. Mm -hmm. That's fair. And so that kind of like, I only move into that process once I know that my design solution is good enough and it can be refined with that tool faster. Like I think of design tools as like maybe an an extra limb. Yeah. But design tools do not make you a designer.
1: Got it. They're just kind of like, you know, oil paint or acrylic or Mm paint brushes.
2: Yes. I can put it in a better metaphor in the sense of like English, right? The alphabet is your pen and paper. Words, how how you string those letters together to produce words and sentence and paragraphs. That's what designers do
1: got it got it and so you um so you graduate from ga mm-hmm. you start getting inbound offers because of your pro portfolio, right. and which then- was
2: very sh- was it was shit i would not hire me if i saw that <laughs> but it was it was good timing too so mm-hmm. there's a little bit of luck in there
1: mm-hmm. and you get this new role mm-hmm. um and so for people that are going into this field we talk a lot about like what they tend to be able to expect i mean you've gone from a lot of humble beginnings and you know, you took money out of your 401k mm-hmm. to get into this type of role. Like what do designers in these types of roles tend to make? Like what range?
2: 70,000 for a designer role here in the Bay Area. Yeah. But that can go up very, very high. So when I transition to design career, you have to know something that I leverage my existing professional experience in neuroscience to position me mm-hmm. as a unique designer. So I was a designer that thought a lot about the user needs. I was a designer that asked a lot of questions around the constraints, what was feasible, what could build, because all of those details impact the product that you can ship. Because you know, if I need to get something out in two weeks, I can't make it as pretty as I want it to be, but I can make ensure that it's useful and yeah. I can ensure that it's usable. And so I approached design not from you know, purely instinctual, but rather a very analytical and scientific way. So for me, my process always begins with asking as many possible questions. So how does this product work? Yeah. Who's going to be using it? What, what's the business goal? What's the user's goal? How long do we have to build this? What's the dev resource? And once I've collected, once I feel like I've collected enough information, I jump into my sketchbook and I start sketching out ideas. I look at the competitors. I look and see how they're solving the problem. I look at products that the person that I'm designing for has a tendency to use. Like, what interaction patterns do they already know? Yeah. You know, because that's also because then you have to factor in the user education component if you're designing something Mm -hmm. new. And then I use a design tool and then I prototype my idea and vet it with my team and repeat and iterate in that process as much as possible.
1: Yeah, so so you go from you know getting a pretty nice increase from that yeah, yeah. that risk that you did, and you start in this new job. Did you fail, or did you like run into a lot of rough patches that you saw at first, or how was that experience starting off?
2: Okay, so I want to touch that four thousand dollar investment that I made was a lot at the time, but my return was huge.
0: 10X. Ten 10X. x. Ten <laughs> x. I mean, mean, I, was, more I
2: mean, I was making six figures. Wow. I was making six figures, so and I had never made that in my life. Way more than 10X. Yeah, way more. So it was totally worth the sacrifice. And the, but I ran into a lot of issues, and that had everything to do with my perspective and how I approached the situation. I was so thrilled that these folks had given me an opportunity rather than, and I was being too humble and nice about it. Like, I worked my ass off for that opportunity, but I felt like that was not something you should say. Instead, I said, Oh, they're giving me a chance and they want to work with me. So I approached that. That's how I approached the first six months of my career there. I was there for a year and a half. And then I remember, first month in, my boss came up to me. He's like, Hey, I need to talk to you. And I was like, Okay. And he's like, You're not really doing as well as I thought you would be doing. And I was like, you haven't asked me to do anything. So how can you say that? And he's like, oh, no, I need you to do all this stuff. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that you wanted me to do all those things. And I didn't set those expectations up front. So that is one thing that I'm going to, whoever's listening, make sure you set clear and define your expectations around communication and your roles and what you should be doing. So immediately. And I'm like, Oh my God, they're going to fire me. And then everything's going to go to shit. So I went home and I started producing, producing, designing, 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 designing. And I had lacked so much basic information about design at the time around like UI kits. I didn't know that, you know, I was recreating icons on my own and my whole process was moving at a snail's pace. And because and partially that's my fault, but also I, I wish my boss would have stepped in and was like, hey, you can ac- access these resources. But he always made it very clear to me that I was a hybrid designer, that I was a researcher because I was hired to do the design research for the mobile and automotive division, uh, the mobile and the auto product teams. So I was hired to do that. So I, and he would also like say things like, oh, you're a shared resource which meant that you helped multiple projects, so you weren't dedicated on just one project. And he would say that I was a hybrid designer. He would, you know, anytime someone new would come to the UX or design area, he would introduce everyone. This is person X, and person X is a visual designer. This person Y, this person's a a product designer. And then he would get to me. Yeah. And I would sit there quietly, fuming inside. I'm like, what is he going to say? He's like, well, that's Melanie. She is what we call a hybrid designer. She's a researcher, but she also does design. I'm like, no, I'm a designer. Yeah, I'm a designer. That's what I want to do. And that's what I want to grow as, is a designer. Yeah. But he also, he was always, you know, and I was very nice about how I said it, but he was just kind of brushing under the carpet. So I suffered quite a bit with my identity. I'm like, am I a designer? Am I good enough to be a designer? Like, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should just give up. So there was definitely lots of moments where I wanted to quit and not, and just default to what I knew how to do. So anyways, eventually fought through that and I was like, no, I'm going to do this. And I really want to do this. So I started investing in my skills outside of work. So I would go to work early, leave work early so that I can go to class. So I enrolled in some coding classes to learn HTML and CSS, how to do the mock-up in the front. I took some classes at a local community college, which is the best kept secret. Mm -hmm. Like you can take classes at community college for like a hundred bucks. That's awesome. And they're so good. They're so, so good. And you can work towards like an AA and most of the folks at community college already have like day jobs. So there's a lot of courses at night. And then I met my super awesome boyfriend, boyfriend who's also a designer and oh my God, my world completely blew up then. And he taught me Sketch, which is my favorite design tool. When I'm doing product design work, I sometimes use it for print and I went back to work and I converted my entire design team. At the time, there was 12 people and everyone was still using Illustrator and Photoshop to do the work over to Sketch. Awesome. And my, at the time, but my boss was super like, oh, I don't know about Sketch. There's always a new design tool. I'm not sure. And we had a, con- a competition. I was like, okay, we're going to design something and see who can move faster. I mean, right, and who can produce this faster and get all the assets done. And I beat him. And then I, he's like, if you want everyone to learn to switch over to Sketch, you're going to have to teach them. I was like, not a thing. I got this. <laughs> so I did that and then convinced him that he should let me do more design work. And that's, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah,
0: we actually use Sketch at work as well. So when, whenever I work in front end projects, Sketch is an amazing tool. You get even for, from an engineering point of view, you could inspect elements. You could mm-hmm. get all, so you don't have to like bug the designer for every single spec. You could just use the file as the spec,
2: right? And it's cheaper than Adobe Creative Suite.
0: Yeah, it's something like a hundred bucks. It's a hundred
2: bucks in yeah. Photoshop or Illustrator. Things yeah. like five hundred bucks for yeah. one program. So, so awesome!
1: So you put them on to the future. Yep, that's and awesome.
0: One thing that I really liked about what you said is so your world changed when you met your boyfriend and um, kind of a recurring theme on this podcast is kind of you're the average of five people you surround yourself with Mm -hmm. and it sounds like when you became close with someone who is who was a really good designer you started absorbing all this information from him and it could be your boyfriend it could be someone who is just a really good friend or a mentor but it sounds like once you kind of got to know someone really well and see their practices what tools they use, then you're able to adopt that and then your learning curve just increased exponentially because you went from just kind of figuring out a lot of this on your own to all of a sudden kind of seeing best practices getting advice your feedback increased my growth my growth
2: like moved very quickly but before meeting him too i had two other amazing women in my life olivia and cecile who i met at ga who are amazing designers i love 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 their work and they're des- both product designers now at Honor. And Olivia and I, well, Cecile came from the business world, so I learned a lot about the business side of things, how to negotiate, how to advocate for myself. And Olivia was went to art school, and I think she has a you know degree in fine arts, but also a, ba- a minor in mathematics. So we kind of us three stick together and um, really supported each other through GA we would attend networking events together have our design prototypes on our phones and, you know and talk to people and pitch you know I would pitch Olivia she'd pitch me and then we'd share our projects yeah so that was really cool and Cecile I mean her visual design skill is so amazing and I remember being in class with her and being like I want to be so good I want to be like that girl so I'm <laughs> going to make sure that I'm her friend so I can learn from her
0: that's awesome that's cool and then you like through this process you became a really good designer and then you started passion project of yours called Front and Center, which helps um, people from underprivileged backgrounds get into tech, right?
2: Yeah, break into tech through design.
0: Through design. So that's an amazing mission. Can you tell us a little bit about what do you teach in that course or that resource and what advice do you have for people who are trying to break into sure. startups through design track?
2: So I teach four things through Front and Center to different audiences. So recent college grads, career transitioners. So people with like, similar like myself, like a couple years of work experience, but looking to do something more creative and also first-time founders and yeah, so entrepreneurs. And some of the things I teach them are three things. So the first one is advocating for yourself, which means negotiating equity, learning stipings, birthday anniversaries, you know, like those type of things. Oh, design tools, like I need pens. I need paper, and those things are very expensive. You know, to find the the right tools. The second one is breaking into tech, and that's about creating an online presence where people can find you mm-hmm. and position yourself where recruiters are looking for you. And that also means like having a branding kit. Hello, everyone needs business cards. You know, you need to pass out your business cards. You need to get business cards. You need to be active on Twitter, engage with people because. Twitter is actually the best tool for me and for my networking.
1: I think that's how you and I connected too.
2: Yeah, that's how me and Ruben (laughs) did connected. (laughs) That's Um, awesome. And then the third one is product design basics. So we're talking about user research, interaction design, user interface design, user experience design, and prototyping. And a fourth thing that I don't really do too much through front and center, but it's something that I do offer to the people that I mentor, how to move to the Bay Area and without losing your mind and losing yeah. all of your money,
1: mm-hmm. it's a great, great um, subject.
2: Yeah, it's pretty expensive here. <laughs> real, real <Yeah>. expensive.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. So, I guess can you tell us about a little bit about how they could find the resource, and, and then mm. what is the format? Is it is all of this online, or is this in person? Or
2: right? So, front and center is an online resource that I'm. That's eventually what it it has. That's what the community wants. It's an online resource. Uh, so, I'm building out a. Kind of a place where you can find links to articles, books, people you should follow, podcasts that you should listen to, how to get started, how to break into tech, how to get contact with me. I'm happy to take phone calls with people, provided that they do their homework and background. Just don't come and ask me questions (laughs) that you can Google yourself, because I will just Google it for you and then reply back with that link. (laughs) Yeah, because you know, if you're truly, truly, truly committed to your passion. You will do all that it takes to make sure that that becomes your reality. Yeah, so just kind of getting, I think the number one thing right now, I would tell people that want to break into tech, know why you want to break into tech and know who you want to be in tech because that is the most, those two things are so important. They will take you very far, especially the who you are and what you believe in because you want to find companies with that have the mission statements that align with your core value
1: and can you talk a little bit about why you're you're focused on the underrepresented community
2: sure i'm focused under the underrepresented community because of a couple reasons actually the reason there's not enough black people in tech yeah there's not enough black women in tech there's not enough black women designers in tech yeah and i want that to change because the products that Technology can solve a lot of problems and we, our tentacles can reach very, very far. However, if we don't have a workplace that rep- is representative of the world, we're going to continue to build products that only serve a certain population in the world. And that's dangerous because at some point we could potentially design out that community yep. if we don't consider their needs. And the best way to consider their needs is to hire someone from that community Because they understand those needs better than any Stanford kid will or any business article. I don't care a shit. Like I've been black my entire life in America and you can't read, study and figure out who I am and what my needs are because you have no idea what is going through my head because you haven't had my experiences.
0: 100%. That's awesome. So for our listeners who might be in in similar shoes that you were when you were back in college where... You had this creative side and, and you knew about it, but at the same time, you were afraid to take the leap of faith and pursue that career. Uh, what would be your pitch to them now that you've gone through this experience?
2: Do it right now, do it faster. Because, like, if you, if you have the single inkling that this is something that you want to do, do it right now. Because I'm doing a lot of catching up and I'm still, and I know that I'm going to be catching up for a while. But if I had done this when. If I had done, I'm 28 now, if I had done this when I was 22, I can only imagine what kind of designer I would be. And it's even crazy because most of these designers in tech start off when they're like 10. Yeah. Yeah. Goofing around on Photoshop. So three things I would want people to focus on right now. So improve your communication skills. So go to Toastmaster. I don't care. Like participate in like student activities where you're going to have to learn to give speeches because that's very, do them confidently and do them well second thing is master design tools, and the third one is always always be curious. you will never know everything and to assume that you know everything you've already failed, yeah, so those are the three things that's
0: awesome and this is actually a great point for us to move on to the lightning round, where Arthur Rubin and I will ask you questions and try to provide um brief answers, but include a lot of tactics, resources uh tools, uh, strategies that you've used to get where you are today. So Ruben Arthur, you want to take it away? Yeah, Melanie. So imagine if you were dropped in a brand new city, you didn't know anyone, and you only had $100 and you had to start all over again. What would you do and how would you spend that $100? Okay.
2: Um, how would I spend that $100? Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, I spend that $100 only on food, crash on couch, attend all the free meetups that I can.
1: Mm-hmm all That's the free awesome.
2: events and make sure and then send inbound emails to companies and ask them if I can have a tour of their office, if they can show me around the design team and can I talk to someone on their design team?
1: That's awesome. Awesome. Great. So advice. it takes us back to that moment when uh, you were being labeled as a hybrid designer and you had like confidence and identity issues mm-hmm. and you're creative. Like, was there a specific song or movie that you watched or something that told you like enough, like I'm about to break through this and like, No, get that hustle, psych up, like song that got you ready to break through that and prove them wrong.
2: I don't think it was a song in particular, but Robin dancing on my own was very much something that was inspiring to me. But also the book, it's not how good you are, it's how good you want to be. In memorizing all of the faces, you got that for my birthday. Yes, that book.
0: Thank you. Great. Yeah. Awesome. So the next question is, um, knowing what you know now and having gone through this journey. What is the one piece of advice that you would want our listeners to know?
2: Make sure that you set clear expectations for, with your manager about what it is you want to do, how you want to grow, and what you can offer.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And so through this process, what is one thing that you fundamentally changed your mind on after completing this journey of going from neuroscience to design to um, starting this nonprofit? Kind of, what is one thing that you fundamentally change your mind on?
1: You believe something going in, and then coming out, you change your mind out after. Going oh, through sure, the
2: process. I can solve. There's more than one way, one way to solve the same problem.
1: Got it, got it. And the last thing is, I know we talked about online resources like front and center, um, and YouTube and Google. Is there anything else online that you think that exists that people could, or a book that would be good to read?
2: Yes, the best. Okay, so 100 Things Designers Need to Know About People and Don't Make Me Think by Stephen Kerr, K R U G. Oh, and Medium is amazing. Medium is amazing to giving the why, and Skillshare is really good for tutorials.
1: Awesome, awesome. Okay,
0: cool. And uh, what is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? You mentioned you're on Twitter. So, kind of, what's your Twitter handle and how can people get in touch with you? Um,
2: people can get in touch with me through Twitter. It's Mel Arujo mm-hmm. with a zero instead of an O. Are you guys going to link this up? Yeah,
0: we'll include it in the show notes. Awesome.
2: So tweet me there and you can just tweet me a question and I will engage with you.
0: <laughs> awesome. And then you mentioned that you're also kind of open to chatting with people on the phone, but given that they do their research, they prepare questions, mm-hmm. they don't ask things that you already discussed either on podcasts right. or blog posts. So what kind of what is the typical way that you respond should they email you or apply on your website
2: tweet me a question Uh and i will respond with you and depending on your question i could tell a lot already about what you're thinking Mm -hmm. but or you can actually just email me my email address is listed on my website and i will do my best to answer your question if our if there's some online resources i can link you to i will and then if you have more questions i will set up a google hangout with you
1: awesome very cool Well, thanks again for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you for having me. This has been
2: Amazing story. Yeah,
0: Yeah. amazing story. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, Encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't want you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.